welcome back to our podcast, Regulation Matters, A Clear Conversation. Once again, I'm your host, Lyne Dempsey. I'm currently the Chief Compliance Officer with Frickabenny Associates Family Dentistry uh, with practices in North Carolina, Virginia, and South Carolina. I've also been a board member and a past president of CLEAR. As many of you are aware, the Council on Licensure, Enforcement, and Regulation, or CLEAR, is an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupational regulation. This podcast is an opportunity for you to hear about important topics in our regulatory community. Today, we're revisiting a previous episode in conjunction with the announcement of new DEI resources for CLEAR members. CLEAR is committed to pursuing the forever work of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, and we're pleased to share the work of our DEI committees. CLEAR's DEI definitions work group has developed definitions of key terms frequently used in discussions about DEI. The work group carefully considered a range of definitions for each term and is constantly refining and reflecting upon this work. CLEAR's External Resources for Regulators Workgroup has compiled a list of resources related to developing, implementing, and measuring DEI initiatives within regulatory organizations. The documents, policies, and research resources are grouped by categories related to starting your DEI journey, foundational knowledge, policy documents, practice standards and practice guides for professionals, DEI-related courses and training, and DEI metrics. There's a wealth of resources, many from fellow regulators, to support you on your DEI journey as we seek to remove bias and discrimination in the professional and occupational regulatory community. Members can log in to access these DEI resources for regulators on CLEAR's website. Of course, that's www.clearhq.org on the resources overview page. Another great DEI resource for CLEAR members is my conversation from December of 2020 with consultant Chris McIntyre. Chris unpacked for us what it means when we talk about unconscious bias and how it can influence our decision-making and what we can do to minimize its impact. Let's have a listen. So uh, let me start with kind of a a general question for you. Uh, What do we really mean when we talk about unconscious bias? Okay, cool. Uh, Thanks, Lyne. So look, I mean, there's so many different ways to to define these things, but to really simplify it, I like to think of a bias as a preference. I mean, to really just kind of boil it down. And and we've all got biases. So Lyne, I'm going to kick this your way, a little bit of a pop quiz here. You ready? Sure. Okay. All right. So, so chocolate or vanilla? What's your preference? Chocolate. All right. Mountains or beaches? What's your preference? Hmm. That's a tough one, but I'm going to go beaches. Okay. Beer or liquor? What's your preference? Liquor. All right. And then last one, cats or dogs? Uh, Let's go kitty cats. Okay. All right. Cool. So, I mean, when it comes to biases, we all have biases, right? Um, And that was a perfect example of that. So if bias is a preference, unconscious biases are preferences that we're just not aware of. And so preferences that I'm not aware of impact every aspect of my life. They impact my perceptions, my judgments, and even my memories. What what bias does not mean, though, is that I'm an undercover racist or an undercover sexist. 
oftentimes when people are just getting introduced to this material, they think that bias equals racism or sexism or any of the other isms. And I, that's one of the first things I always like to unhook. In fact, biases alone aren't even visible without an action. And so when biases harden into stereotypes or prejudices that guide our actions, that's where the discrimination lives. And so there's, there's, there's two main reasons most of our biases are unconscious. Number one, at any one given time, there's about 11 million bits of data available for our brain to pick up. But our, our conscious brains can only pick up about 40 bits of that. So there's 11 million bits available. Consciousness is only picking up about 40. So while we're seeing and hearing in HD quality, we're only seeing a fraction of what's available. But we think we're getting it all. So that's, that's one main reason why unconscious bias are kind of a thing. The other one is not so much why, but it's a bit of a mindset. And that is that diversity which just mean differences. Diversity is a bit of a paradox in that it, it contradicts itself because each of us are like all people, each of us are like some people, and each of us are like no other person at the exact same time. And that's a bit of a contradiction. And I'll kind of explain what I mean. So we're like all people in that we need air, food, adequate rest. We're all like some people in that we've got you know different races and genders. And each of us are unique and we'll never be duplicated again and that we've got our own unique DNA and fingerprints. And so I, I like to think of that paradox as the, the 3D nature of diversity. And it's an important distinction to, to really lay the foundation because when people say things like, there's only one race, there's just the human race, they're 100% correct and 100% incorrect at the same time. In other words, if we wanna break it down, really it's like they're 33% correct because there's only one race, the human race, that's speaking from all people are exactly the same. But what that's ignoring is, well, maybe the world's responded to you a little bit differently as a woman than it has for me as a man or as an African-American or as a, a Caucasian or whatever. So oftentimes people, diversity gets a little bit difficult because people only see one of those three tiers and they, they, the learning is for them to be able to hear and see all three at the same time. So really like see in 3D. So just a little bit about unconscious bias. I, I really love that uh, see in 3D, that's great. So, you know, when we generally uh, talk about bias and, and, and prejudice, you know, related, um, it, it seems to be tenderly related to gender or race, right? Um, so, but are there other areas that we need to really look at? Yeah, you know, I think there are because, like you said, oftentimes some of the more well-known areas of diversity, like gender or race or age or religion or sexual orientation, those are the ones that get most of the airtime. But there's a lot of additional areas of diversity that often get overlooked, like our mental processing styles. You know, am I introverted or extroverted? Our personality styles, am I more assertive or, or passive? Uh, maybe our appearance even. Our physical appearance or ability, maybe our, our marital or parental status, even political beliefs. I know that I'm in the U.S., I'm out in San Diego, and I know this one's a huge one right now, especially in American life politically. Just, I mean, there's so much overt bias there. Um, even, in, even things like accent impact how we might get responded to in the workplace. And th those differences 
that we're talking about, like differences in personality styles, differences in appearance, differences in race and gender, that's not a problem. That, that's not where the problems are. The problems come in when we might respond differently to those differences. That's where the challenges begin. In other words, who gets rewarded or shunned for taking the exact same behavior? So as an example, you mentioned you know, gender. I'll just, I'll simplify it, right? A, a, a distinction here. Let's think about the difference between men and women. And this is an oversimplification, okay? This isn't always the case, but you know, generally speaking, uh, if we think about some of the differences between how men get responded to and women get responded to in the workplace, he's in a meeting, um, he changes the direction of a project a couple times, and we think, okay, well, he's a you know project uh, leader and he's just gonna rethink it and he's a little agile. But when she, and again, these are generalizations, but when she changes directions a couple times, oftentimes we'll look at her as, ah, she's a little indecisive, if you know what I mean. Um, for the guys will come back, another example, the guys will come back after lunch and they're hanging around the water cooler and they're talking sports and we kind of, we look at the guys as they're over there bonding, you know, they're just being guys. But when the ladies kind of get together and they're over there by the water cooler, oftentimes we look at that as, ah, they're kind of gossiping over there. Um, or maybe we're in a meeting and, and uh, you know, he'll, he'll slam his fist down on the desk and he's just, you know, he's talking about an issue that he, and we'll say he's super passionate about that issue, but it let her slam her fist down and start to raise her voice and so on. And, and she gets responded to as if, wow, she's really emotional or, or even worse than that. Right. So, so that, that majority dynamic oftentimes applies anytime there's a majority group and a, and a minority group interacting. And um, and if you were to go into maybe like the teaching or the and I've done this, you go into the teaching field where maybe it's predominantly women or nursing and it's predominantly women. And oftentimes women will have the upper hand. So that subtlety there is really a, a majority minority dynamic at play. Right. That makes that makes complete sense. So I guess, I, you know, what are some of the ways that uncom unconscious bias maybe can influence our decision making? And we're looking at something like that, both like on a personal level, but also on a professional level. Because, I mean, obviously, it's got to have that impact. Um, how is it influencing us? Yeah, good, good question. Well, Lina, I think like on a on a personal level, unconscious bias can actually cause us to violate our own values. I mean, I might value um, treating everyone equally. I might try to say I try to tr treat everybody the same, but subconsciously. I favor people that think and act kind of like me. And so that's a bit of, right. a, of a violation of my own value, right? Um, you know, another example might be, a, pers a personal example might be, sometimes my best intentions may unintentionally insult other people, totally unintentionally. And we call these actually microaggressions. So for example, when people, and I get this all the time, people will, will say, you know, they come up to me and they'll say, ah, I don't see color. I was raised not to see color, so I don't see color. And people will always tell me that, mm -hmm. right? Now, <laughs> I know what, when they tell me that, I, I know that their intent is pure. That, I mean, what they're trying to tell me is, look, I don't look down on you because of your race, right? I don't look down on you because you're you know, black or white or whatever. I, don't, I treat, try to treat everybody equally. That's their intent. What their impact can be is, you know, <laughs> what, what I basically hear them saying is you're black again, right? 
I mean, so they're, they're now, and I, I have fun with them. Like when I feel like I've, I've built up a little bit of a camaraderie there and I'll say now that, you know, I love that you're saying that. So tell me, when was the last time you told a white person you don't see color? <laughs> and I, I'm right. playful with them, not, not judging in any way, just very playful. And, and it, and it helps to bring up the point. Um, or, or I might, I might even say something like, you know, Hey, you girls look really good today. And, and my intent is sincere compliment, but what I, what, what, the unintentional message there might be is your looks matter, right? You know, I mean, when was the last time I went up to the guys and said, hey, you guys look really good today. So so it's on a personal level, sometimes there's there's oftentimes unintentional messages that get communicated that can impact relationships. On a on a professional level, look, the preferences that I'm unaware of, my unconscious biases, they they, they impact the entire employee life cycle. So, so everything from just how we recruit, right? The way we recruit, who we recruit, where we go to recruit our people is impacted by our preferences and unintentional preferences, our hiring processes, onboarding people, coaching and developing. Um, there's, a, there's a really cool study. I mean, there's so many lines for your folks to just kind of go out there and do a web search on examples of unconscious bias, but there's one that's pretty funny. It's an example of confirmation bias. And confirmation bias is where I find data to confirm my biases, right? So like I'm biased, but I'll go out and get data that only speaks to confirm my biases and I'll reject everything else. There was a, a really famous study of women in the orchestra, and this was back in the 70s, so it was a little while ago. Um, and the big five orchestra, for those of you who are familiar, I think Philadelphia, Boston, um, I forget, I think San, actually, actually Cleveland, I think might have one of them. There's there's large orchestras throughout the, the country, and this is just in the U.S. They only had 5% women in the, musicians. So 95% men, um, 5% women, or male, female. And this was back in the 70s. But the, the the candidates that were applying for positions and auditioning for positions were very diverse, and so was the audience. So they realized, like, what's going on here? And one thing they did was they ended up having blind auditions because what they realized was, oh, okay, well, all of the um, composers and the folks that were making the decision happened to be men, and they were there was a little bit of something going on there. Not that they were deliberately doing it, but it was unconscious to them. So they started having blind auditions so they couldn't even see who was behind the screen, and the numbers jumped up to 30-plus percent instantly. And so what, what's funny is after a study like this, and there's so many, but after a study like this, if I were to go back to the conductors or the folks who were making the decisions and I asked them, do, do men make better musicians? Do you care if they're men or women? They'd, they'd say, heck no, no way. We only want the best musician for the position. But this study was a perfect example of, ooh, their unconscious biases were, and their confirmation bias was forcing them to focus on the imperfections of women more. I'm not even saying that those imperfections weren't there. I'm saying that unbeknownst to them, they were more critical when women came up to audition than men. And the blind um, auditions highlighted that. Now, if, if that's just one simple little example of how unconscious bias gets in the way of our uh, in the employee life cycle, then I have to ask all of your listeners out there, um, what are the other areas of your businesses that might be being impacted by preferences that you're not aware of? In what ways might you be hindering the best talent doing the best work? So could we, I mean, 
is unconscious bias maybe hindering the way you do your strategic planning, the way you seek talent out, the way you build teams, your project management, your problem solving, your innovation skills. Bottom line, diverse teams, when they're well-led, outperform homogenous teams in most meaningful ways. That makes 100% sense. Uh, completely, uh, you know, we try to do that in, in our organization, in our teams of, of, of having that diversity because there's there's so many different things that come in, uh, different points of view um, and, 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 and ways to approach um, uh, problem solving. So that, that's great. So obviously when, you know, this is not something that's new, you know, education and awareness are our key, right? And, and I know Mark and Stacy, they talked about it, you know, being a, a self-reflective and enlightening journey. I think that was their words. You know, so once we identify areas where unconscious bias is actually influencing our decision, uh, you know, making decisions or policies, you know, what can we do to, to minimize that impact? I mean, I can't really put a, 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 a screen up to, to make my decisions, but what, what can we best do to, to, to minimize that? Yeah, great. Great question. Uh, well, the one thing we can't do is get rid of it, right? So I love your question there about what can we do to minimize this thing, because you yeah, can't it's, eliminate it's here. <laughs> bias, right? It's here, it's here, and it's and it's regenerative and it's amorphous, right? So even if we fix it this way, it's going to show up that way. And so, so I love the the subtlety of your question there. So I I break it down into two two answers. Number one, on a personal level, we need to see, um, we need others to help us to see what we can't. Number one. So I need you. So so I can see your biases, your unconscious biases, and you can see mine. But the funny thing is I can't see mine and you can't see yours. And so so I need your help. I, I need to I need you to kind of help me catch it in the moment. And then when when you have the courage to speak up and say, hey, Chris, that thing you said there, that might have you know kind of landed a little differently than you thought. That's so that's a courageous thing to share. One, so I should thank you for those moments where you helped me to see that. But then two, I need to have the courage to actually listen to what you said when I get caught and not get defensive about it. And, and that's what we see sometimes is, and that's one of the biggest struggles with, with, with bias and diversity work is oftentimes people put their guard up and, and you know how it goes. Once people, especially smart adults get defensive, it's tough to break those barriers down. Oh, yeah. So we need to, we just, we need to be a little bit more courageous and have that courageous conversation and listen twice as hard as we speak, especially when someone's offering an olive branch there. So on the personal level, I need your help. At the organizational level, it's such a giant question, but what I'd say is try to try to pinpoint the specific areas that you want to improve. So for example, if if maybe we realize, man, we're just we're not recruiting a whole lot of diversity. Let's let's just let's just take a look at the the recruitment slice. And, and, and let's brainstorm some things we can do to minimize the impact of bias. So for example, maybe we, we don't even begin interviews until we've got 25% of candidates that are diverse, right? And then we're gonna, when, when we submit the resumes, we're gonna remove all that stuff anyway. So we're not hiring specifically for diversity. We wanna hire for, for fit, right? And capabilities, but we wanna remove the potential of any unconscious bias. So let's, let's get a plate of at least 25% diverse candidates and then strip it, sanitize the resumes, and push those things forward. Um, you know, maybe if it's it's promotions, like no, we we're hiring pretty well, we're getting people on board, but we just realize most of the diversity at our organization hovers around the lower you know levels or the, the lower few tiers. And so, if promotions is a thing, then maybe we want to get 
more clear. We want to communicate clear, quantifiable criteria for advancement consideration, and we want to do that in advance. And we want to make sure that we've got a diverse promotion panels and transparent in our decision making. If it's for maybe developing our people, then maybe we, you know, those cool stretch assignments that are probably going to lead to a, a promotion. Let's make sure that we're conscious about those, and we don't we don't even offer stretch assignments until there's a diverse palette of people that are up for a potential stretch assignment that's going to lead to that next role. So if we break down the area that we want to improve, it's a heck of a lot easier to, to really pinpoint bias, and it makes it a lot easier to address. It sounds like sometimes it can be an uphill battle for sure. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, one of the things that, that Stacy also mentioned, um, you know, about CLEAR in particular and their goals um, was, you know, being able to establish the tangible uh, measures of success. Right, something that they can you can feel if you would. I mean, how can leaders of organizations uh, know if things that they're doing to to identify and reduce unconscious bias are actually successful? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. And 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 honestly, that's I think that's one of the key questions here. Is you know we can do diversity trainings and all that stuff, but is is it helping? Like, where what are our indicators for for and what are our measures of success? So my my quick answer to that would be that the, the key metrics would shift. And so what I mean by that is, you know, you'd start to see more people of color or women or diverse sexual preferences or other underrepresented groups uh, would be in key positions and not just token, token positions. So I think you'd see the dynamics and the culture begin to shift. But what, what we really need here, we need a couple of things. Number one, what we, what we have to have is, is good, solid data. And so what I'd say is, you know, depending on the organization that your your members and your listeners are in, go find the current industry standards. Like, what what are some of the demographics, the diversity and inclusion DNI? What are the DNI demographics that are that are kind of standard for our industry? And then compare that to what some of the best practices are, and let's see where we're at. Are we kind of at industry standard? Are we a little below? Are we a little above? Are we maybe you know we've got some cool best practices here we can share. There's, there's an organization called Diversity Inc. So diversityinc.com. And that's a great website that I'd point your, your listeners to, to kind of go and look at some of the, the DNI benchmarks by industry. They, they do a lot of really good work and, um, and it's, it's uh, lots of benchmarks and, and, and tools and resources there for you. But some potential metrics might be for, for organizations. So if you've got folks listening and they're like, just give me a few metrics I can chew on and start to think about, um, might be, well, number one, are we even aware in our organization, if I'm a leader of an organization, are we aware of industry DNI metrics and best practices? Do we even know what they are? Do, I mean, do we know what the metrics are, what the standards are, what the current demographics are for our, for our industry? Let's get clear about that. That in and of itself is a good first step. And then from there, I'd say you can build what I like to call your smoke detectors. And by smoke detectors, what I'm saying is go out and survey your either your membership or your customers or the people that you serve and your customer data. And, and let's let's get some member satisfaction. And probably you have a lot of this. Most organizations do this depending on how large. But let's what are the member satisfaction scores? What are the member complaints? What are the longevity numbers? What are the turnover numbers? And let's let's actually stratify that by race, by national origin, by gender, and so on. And let's let's see if certain differences are showing up. So if we if we 
are there differences for what you know one gender saying versus another? Is there are there if we're a multinational organization, what's America saying versus Australia versus you know Canada or Germany or the UK or whatever? What these are our customers now. So what what are the differences that we're seeing? Let's review the data, the stratified data for trends and differences. And then let's provide some personalized feedback. Let's go and, and shoot some questions to those groups that maybe are saying that they're not as satisfied or they're not staying as long or whatever it is. So let's let's focus our feedback from that point. But in terms of just a few more metrics, here's some basic things I see organizations who are just getting started on this ask themselves. Do we have a DNI statement as an organization? And I'm saying DNI diversity and inclusion. Do, do we have a DNI statement? Is there a you know we value diversity for blah blah blah? blah. Do, do you have that statement as an organization? Yes or no? Are all your team members um, are able to internalize and understand the business case for diversity? Yes or no? Are, are all team members trained on diversity? I mean, just a basic diversity and inclusion seminar, and then some advanced things like unconscious bias, because I I'd call unconscious bias that's that's already diversity 102. And most people need diversity, find value in diversity one-on-one. Let's just make sure we even understand what we mean when we say diversity and bias and inclusion right. and just some, you know, like let's get our terms and things correct so that we are at least speaking the same language. Um, I, I think, you know, all team members get trained up on that stuff. Intercultural conflicts, are they on the decline or the incline? Leaders might have some toolkits with some diversity activities they can do. DNI is actually recognized as a strategic imperative, so it's right there with sales and customer service, diversity and inclusion, because we genuinely believe in that. Do we have senior leadership sponsorship, which that would require? Um, and then also, this is a little bit more advanced, but I see I, in many organizations that I'm working with, I see senior leaders are actually held accountable, and, and it's in their performance appraisal and then tied to their metrics, metrics and bonuses. Is DNI are the metrics changing? Are, are you in, are you, whatever you're doing, are you including or um, not necessarily excluding, but, and by the way, there's a difference. There's a difference between not um, excluding people, but not fully including people. And I've seen leaders held accountable for improving right. DNI metrics, right? So, and then just an ongoing semi-annual quarterly DNI trainings for leaders, employees, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I'd say that at the end of the day, when diversity shifts, from a class that we all have to take to a value that we live, you're moving in the right direction. Absolutely. So thank you very much, Chris, for, for taking the time out to, to chat with me. My pleasure, Line. So Line, let me just let me just leave you with one final quote if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. So there's there's what we think, and then there's what we think we think. And I think that unconscious bias really helps to bridge that gap. As we continue in our DEI journey, it's great to go back to some of the fundamentals and foundational knowledge that Chris shared with us. We hope that you found it valuable and we encourage members to log into the CLEAR website under the resource overview menu to access the DEI definitions and resources page developed by CLEAR's working groups. Thank you to the working group members for their commitment to CLEAR's DEI initiatives. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning into this episode. We'll be back with another episode of Regulation Matters, a CLEAR conversation very soon. If you're new to the CLEAR podcast, though, please subscribe to us. You can find us on Podbean or any of your favorite podcast services. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please leave a rating or comment in the app. Those reviews help us to improve our ranking and make it easier for new listeners to find us. Feel free also to visit our website at www.clearhq.org for additional resources, as well as a calendar of upcoming programs and events. Finally, I'd like to thank our CLEAR staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson, content coordinator and editor for this program. Once again, I'm Lyne Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking to you again very soon.